Welcome to Iron Sights. This podcast candidly seeks to create opportunities and deliver impact by sharing the experiences and wisdom of successful entrepreneurs and thought leaders who unapologetically aim to win in health, fitness, business, and life. I'm your host, Scott Howell. Welcome to Old School Meets New School. Tradition meets innovation and imperfection meets excellence. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Welcome back to Iron Sights Podcast. I'm here with Joan Orban. Joan, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's great to be here. I'm so excited we finally got you here. Yeah. It took a while. <laughs> it took a little while. It's always a little bit of work, but that's what happens when you're dealing with busy uh, and successful entrepreneurs, and you are definitely there. That's one of the exciting things about having you here today is you're one of the local ones, and uh, we're going to talk a little bit about that. And so I usually start these things by one, how did we meet? Uh, we have some mutual friends. Uh, this is the first time we're actually meeting in person, so this yeah. makes it even that much more exciting. Right. Yeah, but we got we got uh, some mutual friends uh, that have put us together. And the second part of this is, is I always like to give a little bit of a bio. So I'm going to give you a little. I'm going to give everybody a little bit of about what I know, and then we're going to dig into all the details of that. But uh, basically, you've been in martial arts for the better part of the, your entire life. Pretty much 20 years, 20 years is, is a long time to be doing anything. And I think that definitely, um, at, at this, at this point probably qualifies you as a subject matter expert at a lot of things within the martial arts field. You're also a business owner. You own, uh, the United, uh, Bay area karate club here in town, which is actually fairly new business, but it's becoming wildly successful, very pot, very fast. So we're going to talk a little bit about that too. Uh, but this 20 years in martial arts, man, you've done so many, so many things. So I want to talk about those things, but, uh, and I don't even know where to start really, but I would love to, to, to hear a little bit about like where this all started for you and how we even got to this point. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, it's not a Cinderella story. (laughs) Let me tell you that. (laughs) That that makes it even better for me. I cannot wait. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, let's start with my parents yeah, let's because do that. I wouldn't be here without them. Okay. Um, first generation American from the Philippines. Dad came here when he was 19 years old, adopted by his aunt and uncle because, you know, they were they were the only ones who was who was able to get him here and actually give him the opportunity to have a life outside the, of the Philippines. And uh, from there worked at McDonald's, started by flipping burgers. Wow. Met my mom. She came in fresh from the Philippines, too, looking for a job. By that time, he was a manager, said, okay, here we go. And they met and had me. <laughs> <laughs> Just you? You got brothers and sisters? And my little my brother, yeah. uh, two years apart. Okay. So, you know, imagining that time in the 90s, uh, working at McDonald's, uh, they worked hard. And uh, I... I Bouncing from place to place, trying to make ends meet, and eventually moved to Stockton, California when I was seven, like any other Bay Area family right. looking to own a home. Right, because <laughs> back then that was it, it was it was very affordable, and even if you still worked in the Bay Area, people were like, well, I can own a home out there for a fraction of the cost, and even though it takes me an hour and a half sometimes to commute to work, I'm going to, in the Valley or in the Silicon Valley, they'll do it. Yeah. Yeah, that was, I mean... Yeah. Tons of people that moved out there. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know how my dad did it. He did it for quite a few years. Just he did that, you know, even in rush hour, that two hour commute every Nuts. day in the yeah. morning. 
I remember having to finish out or uh, there was a time when we had bought the house and was still driving out to take us to school. And then it lasted a few months. But those are memories that are still, you know, very much in, in my mind at this point still. And uh, so, of course, my dad was always active, uh, loves his loves his kids so much and said, OK, now that we are here in Stockton, put them in something. So Yellow Pages, there was a karate ad. And first thing my mom did was sign us up for the free trial. I don't even know, like, if I did good. I could have been, like, <laughs> the suckiest kid in class. But <laughs> How old were you? I was seven. Okay, yeah. so, I mean, yeah, you're just kind of getting familiar with your body and how to move it around a little bit. I don't even remember my first day, but okay, uh, definitely after that, um, it was part of my my life, and... At that time, my sensei, he was the vice president of USA and KF, the national governing body. So we had a strong dojo and we were, you know, we were a strong dojo and had big numbers representing. And uh, it's funny because at our first at my first tournament, I don't think I even placed. And then my dad said, OK, let's yank him out. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was my mom who said, no, uh, we're going to keep him in and. The following year was the national championships and uh, here in San Jose. Okay. So he hosted it here in San Jose and I won a gold at the national championships wow. at eight. So from zero to hero, like over, over a course of a year. Yeah. And then that's when all these lights came or all these ideas came to my dad's mind. It was my dad. Like, I can't say like, I can appreciate that. Yeah. He was like, uh, no, this is it. We're invested in Slow, surely I had, you know, nice uniform, kicking bags at the house and all these like new things. And I was completely invested in I love that. in the competition team as well. Winning tastes good, doesn't it? It does. <laughs> and it's like, uh, well, one thing, my uh, one of my senseis told me this a long time ago. It's like, you have to hate losing yep. more than you love winning. Yeah, that's me. Yeah. So that's I'm me like, all day long. Like, I'd rather not lose. Yep. Like anything but lose. Yeah, I love that. So that's I've been saying that my whole life too. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think after that day or when I came back from that tournament, uh, my dad told my sensei what I had said and he sat me down in his office. You know, he's a, he's a big sensei. And he was like, what'd you have to say to your dad? And I said, I want to be a world champion one day. <laughs> and then I, it's like, I haven't looked back since. <laughs> so, I mean, we just, again, there's been so many things that have happened, but at, at eight years old, you're a, you're a champion already. You're a gold medalist. Uh, that's a lot for a eight year old to deal with. Right. Cause there's, I mean, you, you hadn't really, you haven't really talked about what, what, it, what kind of a commitment does it take, you know, by parents and by the kids in order to achieve that kind of status or that kind of uh, success? Cause this is not something you just show up and do. Mm -hmm. So what's the reality of the training of the commitment? How do you balance school at that young of an age. Yeah. Well, I, I don't think I had any choice. I, and because I didn't know anything else. One, um, just going to karate, you know, four, four times, five times a week, mm -hmm. knowing that you had private training on the weekends, additional to training, you know, two a days. Like I was doing two a days already. And I'm looking back at it. I was like, wow, how did I do that? I wouldn't even imagine, uh, you know, eight, nine, 10 year old to do that. Mm -hmm. But I was already, I, I was like bred like at such a young age. And I think I was a Guinea pig to this all, um, a product of my environment as well. So 
yeah i it's it's so hard it's like i don't even look back at it because i'm like yeah i did it like why can't you do it right yeah so it's interesting so it's not too much different than so i've had i've had kids involved in athletics and in order to be competitive there has to be a commitment to it it can't just be while you, if again, there's recreational sports and then there's being, you know, a competitor and then there's all different levels of, of competition and everybody has to have their, their goals aligned there and their, their values aligned there in order to really make that successful. I guess what I mean by that is if dad wants it and kids don't want it, then there becomes conflict and ultimately something's got to give and it usually doesn't end very well. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And in your case, we've got, we've got alignment there. The other thing is, is I, I, I imagine that, you watching your parents work as hard as they did, particularly your dad and the dedication that he had to you guys as kids, there was like an acceptance of, well, I have something that maybe other kids don't have and that, you know, I'm going to respect what my father wants me to do, or this is just what we do. Mm-hmm. You know, this is just what we do. But I've, I, I compared and contrasted to like, this doesn't sound much different than things I've seen happen with swim team, right? Where the kids are in the pool at four in the five in the morning, and then they're back in the pool at four in the afternoon or basketball practice. Well, they're the basketball, the competitive basketball or the competitive baseball where it never stops, right? You're playing on two teams at a time. It's so this is not super uncommon. And I've, this was happening when I was a kid too, Yeah, it, but it could seem very foreign to a lot of parents or in a lot of kids at this point. Um, or I guess at this kind of point in time, like, wow, she said she didn't really feel like she had a choice, but at the same time, maybe maybe kids don't need a choice at that age. Right, and now that's a touchy subject. Yeah, so let's talk about it. <laughs> I, I, I'm just yeah, I'm just throwing it yeah, out there. We're just talking. Well, and there, I I've had a lot of parents like uh, say, oh, well, speaking for their kids, but one, it's just a kid, so they don't really know what they want. Mm-hmm. It's the parents' job to guide them. Mm-hmm. Now, as long as they're aligned, like okay. Let's say it could have been any sport that I, I'm, I'm not saying that I would have been like this karate champion per se. My dad could have gave me a basketball and that would have been, I'm sure I would have excelled. He could have given me anything. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure the first thing that I would have picked up would have, I would have taken it all the way. Mm-hmm. So I mean, there, you have to think of those factors too. Sure. Yeah. It's <laughs> gotta be in the kid, right? Yeah. Kid has to have the drive and the want to, and there has to be some a reassessment process along the way of, is this the right place for, for my kid? And I need to, they need to have some, you know, a part in making those decisions. Um, you know, who are we really doing this for? Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. So uh, I think we can get into that maybe a little bit, a little bit further down the <laughs> yeah, road with, it, with it, you as a coach, right. And as a, now a business owner and having to deal with that dynamic, probably pretty, pretty often. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. So, I mean, doing it as an eight-year-old or doing it in elementary school yeah. is one thing, but if you want to be a world champion, if you thought you'd been working hard at that point, I'm sure things have to change. Yeah. And what yeah. does that look like? So let's say I'm eight, nine, ten. We're doing a bunch of local, national events. Um, and here I am. What is it? Uh, when I was 12, they just opened the national team to the 12, 13 year olds because before it was only 14 and up or 14 to 18 years old. So it was that year that they opened it up to 12 and I, and I'm in that category. All right. So I, um, I think that summer I was like, okay, this is what I'm doing. So now I was already going to karate at least six days out of the week, if not seven. 
And I just turned it up a notch even more. And I don't know how much more <laughs> it could have been, but whether it was a 12-year-old running three miles a day or was it going to practice two times a day, uh, I made the difference. And I made the national team at 12. Mm. So if that, and then uh, I I skipped the whole part. But <laughs> Well, let's go back. What did we skip? We skipped, uh, I, I think it was 2008 when the recession hit. Yeah, it was. It was exactly then. And that was that time. So... Even before this, I, uh, my, I, and I can't say my dad was the only one who was working hard. It was my mom because she was the one holding it down and taking the kids to practice to uh-huh. everything. Okay. So they did their job, both of them. It's like, I can't discredit my mom. I love my mom. <laughs> but, Moms uh, are the best. They're the best. <laughs> so, but at that time, you know, recession hit. We we're one of those families that were hit hard. Okay. And, you know, it, it turns, I turn into the kid carrying two backpacks to school, one with my school books and one with candy. And I'm like selling candy after uh. school and in between classes and during class. So mm-hmm. I, I think, uh, I mean, one, I love to play Monopoly when I was eight. So I understood the value of money early and a lot right. of other things, right. <laughs> how ambitious I was right. to own everything. You like to have your own <laughs> stuff yeah, and be in charge. Yeah. So th- that was a part of me already. But one, it's like, uh. I was always a hustler. Like uh, I had a full backpack of candy and by the end of the day it was gone. You know, I, I made it. And that essentially funded a lot of my travel. I, if you could think about the turnaround with can- candy to travel. Sure, sure. No, I got you. <laughs> with regard to karate because yeah. these tournaments aren't cheap. Right. Right. These meets are, these meets cost money. Right. The equipment costs money. Yeah. 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 So it was that time and I made the national team and we realized that oh my God, I'm on the national team and I'm going to go to Santiago, Chile to represent Team USA at 12. How'd that feel? It's like, uh, it's it's so blurry at now because it's like I've had those high, like it's happened so much in my life. It kind of It kind of seems like the back of my hand. Like, of course I did. They run <laughs> together? Yeah. Wow, that's crazy. So yeah. even being selected to go to, like at that age, to go to Chile, looking back, there's been so many experiences. Well, we have a lot to unpack apparently. Yeah. Uh, if that's like, I can't really remember. But yeah. I mean, what were you, is, did you kind of expect that that was going to happen because of how hard you were working? Can you relate maybe to there was fear, or was anxiousness, nervousness? Were you happy? Well, uh, I, I think for me, I, I didn't expect anything less. Like I was going to make the national team. Okay. You're, you're going to have to like, like rip my heart out or like break my knee to have not, to, for me to not have gone or made the national team at that age. All right. So that's, that's a mindset I've had my whole life. Okay. So there's the, co- there's the answer to the question right there <laughs> and probably why you don't really remember it that much mm-hmm. at the same time. Like, no, this is what I set out to do. So this was kind of the next natural step in the progression. So don't get too high or too low. Just keep moving forward. Right. right yeah. Okay. All right. So, so there I was yep. and, uh, we have about a month and a half or two months to, uh, find a way to have enough money to go there. So it was like, we're at that point where Filipino, my mom was just like Thursday nights. We were like rolling lumpia, making like uh, lunch packs. And like, she would go to work. She worked for Southwest airlines. And would sell lunch boxes to her coworkers. Wow! And to, uh, to make extra money, to make extra money to send me there to fund this stuff. Mm-hmm. And it was like, I get there, 
and 2008, I won. <laughs> okay. Con- Continental champion. Wow. Uh, North and South America. So we're, we're only moving up. We're going yeah. all the way to the top. Yeah. I have a, I have a question. If we can pause for a second because, so you're doing all this extra work to try to fund it. You're going to practice or you're training at least two times a day, six days a week. Uh, we're rolling lumpia. We're hustling <laughs> for, you know, for extra dollars by selling candy at school. Let's talk about school and academics. How are you doing in school? How is that? Inter- how is that? That whole dynamic? Is yeah. it balanced? Uh, were you as good a student as you were, you know, an athlete? Let's talk about that. Yes. I was a straight A student my whole life. <laughs> Why am I not surprised? And, uh, of course there was times where I'm, I'm like literally like trying to finish. I, I'm doing homework and I, and the next thing I know, I wake up at six in the morning. My, my face is on my textbook yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and like, there's times where I'm like stressed. I'm like, I don't know how I'm going to do this, but I make it happen. You figured like, it out my whole life. I'm like, I've always made it happen for myself. So you've already got the entrepreneurial spirit, right? You understand the value of the dollar, right? You understand hard work and it paying off. You understand mindset. You go, you become a continental champion. And this is at 12, mm-hmm. right? The first year you have to be at this point turning some heads, and so I'm wor- I'm wondering about the culture of karate is something I'd like to kind of uh, delve into a little bit, the, the culture of the sport and where you're fitting in, whether or not you are fitting in, who's, are there surprises? Are there things that are coming up along the way that are catching you off guard? I mean, you're, you're talking about winning your local or regional tournament, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not the same as going to a faraway country in South America and winning a continental title. What were the big eye-opening experiences or are you just that cool that nothing <laughs> that, that nothing struck you? Well, one thing is like in my generation inside my dojo or let's say my class, I was the youngest but, but between everyone. I was the smallest and like I used to get beat up every day at the dojo for sure. But what that did to me was make me stronger. And when I went to competitions like regional local national i didn't lose because i'd get beat up every day by, by the big by the bigger <laughs> by the big guys the big kids yeah the big air quotes kids yeah, yeah. the big boys because, right. uh, like there was no such thing as holding back like you're a girl i don't like i don't know early 2000s 2000s just in general like kids are different like i don't care if you're a girl i'm gonna hit you right <laughs> like, right <laughs> i get it yeah. like you you showed up. Yeah. So this is what, this is what you signed up for. Yeah. Uh, and there, there's been times like I've walked, like left practice, like in tears and just like, man, like I got beat you got up. Your, yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about, I mean, was there ever a time in tournament or in competition where you got caught off guard or somebody, somebody beat your ass and you, you know, you walked out of there going with maybe questioning your skill, questioning your self-esteem, any of that stuff. It didn't happen in competition, but, uh, maybe inside practice and training. Um, I never questioned myself, but there, the times that I did get hit, I'm like, dang, like he hit me hard. Like I'm talking like UFC getting spinning back kicked by a, by, you know, a guy four or five years older than you, a grown man, a grown man. And I'm like in fetal position at practice, you know? And it's like, no one's like picking you up. Not no one's crowding around you. Like, are you okay? It's like, get up, dude. A lot of lessons in that. There's a lot of lessons. <laughs> like in that. You don't feel as uh, that's probably one of the weakest 
feelings. Yeah, I, I, I've I've said this before, actually, on this show. Unless this has happened to you, you will never know how defeating it feels or how scary it is when another human has physically dominated you. Yeah. And I don't think a lot of people, and, and, and that's a good thing, I think, but at the same time, I think they're missing something in life. I think it's a good thing that not, not so many people have experienced this, but those people that have, whether it be in competition or in some traumatic event, you know, outside of, of competition will tell you there is no feeling worse than that when you just, you just know like yeah. you, you, there's nothing you can do. And it, it will, my experience will do one of two things. It'll either flip a switch yeah. to where that isn't ever ever going to happen again and i'm going to do everything i possibly can to become more physically potent more aware bring a force multiplier to the situation i can do all those things but it could also do a lot more damage to where it just strips you of every piece of self-worth and self-confidence you possibly have um, and that's a that's a scary place i think for people to be yeah well my first concussion was when i was 10 and uh, i took i was at the u.s open in las vegas and took a kick to my neck that's the first time I felt like, like from this room to pitch black. Wow. Woke up. I'm like looking like my dad's next to me. Like all these referees are standing above me. But uh, I think that was the closest thing to fear that I had uh, coming back from that uh, injury. Mm -hmm. uh, the month coming back, I was just like, I don't know if I'll be able to like Come all the way back from this. Yeah. Like I'm 10 years old and now I'm, I've never been worried about getting hit ever. Mm -hmm. And now I'm in practice hoping that I didn't get hit in the head. Right. Again. Yeah. Yeah. Cause there's a whole, uh, obviously, and you're describing that. This may seem, sound obvious. Maybe it isn't to some, but there, the psychological component can be way, way larger than the physiological component of the recovery process. Mm -hmm. That being in the back of your head that, like, it's what I just said, you know, you get been physically dominated somewhere, you've been knocked out. The fear of being knocked out can be completely uh, paralyzing, yeah. right, uh, yeah. to your mindset, right, and then obviously to your output or to what it is that you can bring to the table. So that's a, that's a lot. And in, interestingly, I mean, you would expect at some level if you're in this game long enough, that's going to happen. Mm -hmm. right? It's going to happen where you're going to get, there's always somebody bigger, there's always somebody stronger, there's always that circumstance. Um well, let's talk about actually that a little bit. So you have you at 10 years old, you've already suffered, you know, at least one concussion yeah. that you knew about maybe. Yeah. I, like I went to the hospital and an ambulance and everything. So through, throughout the career, what, what are maybe some of the other things that you suffered physically from that were tough to overcome or maybe not so tough to overcome, but were fairly traumatic? Um, ankle, like, my ankle, I mean, it's, it's been all, all over I, my social media. Yep. It's like, that was a defining moment. Uh, that the moment that it actually did snap, but it was years before that. I knew that it was something's not right. Yeah. Something wasn't right. And that way it was one of my weaker points in my body. Um, knees, bad knees. There's just a lot of uh, karate movement. It's not always a natural movement and it does tear the body and wear the body down a lot. Joints. A sure. lot of joints. So it's not necessarily upper body. I lie. <laughs> I've been thrown in like my shoulder. I have a bad shoulder every now and then it, it gets worked up a bit. But I think I named every part of my body already. <laughs> <laughs> it's some, well, you don't stay in the game long enough. It's a contact sport. Yeah. Right. Again, we, we, 
mentioned a couple of them before, you know, basketball being another one of those contexts where a lot of people don't think like that. But I bet if you talk to somebody that's been in basketball, as long as you've been in karate, they're going to say all the same stuff, you know, my knees, my ankles, my hips, my back, the shoulder. Yeah. And I wasn't a normal girl. Like I was always like, one of the boys, like just rough from the beginning. Okay. You know? <laughs> so I'm, I'm imagine like these injuries or the, the things that my body has gone through isn't typical or, but I was always just like rough and ready to throw my body where it needed to be. So, so let's talk about the social dynamic of being an athlete at competing at the level that you've competed at being a straight A student, um, having to, do a lot of extra work in order to get there, not just physically, but financially. What's life like? I mean, do you have friends or there time for friends? Is there time to be social? One thing I do know about my Filipino uh, uh, friends, family is family is everything. Yeah. Right. And so there's a lot of get togethers. There's a lot of, there's a lot of support for one another and it's uh, you know, social being social is extraordinarily important um, mm-hmm. with, with friends and family. How, how did that, how was that growing up for you? You know what? I, I believe I'm not, I believe, I know I missed a lot of things growing up and, uh, my life was just about karate. So, so like it was just immediate family between me, my dad, my mom, my brother, that was like our life other than the other karate families who are on the same boat, you know, taking this seriously, taking this route aggressively. We naturally made our own click. Mm-hmm. So as far as social wise, I was, I was around a lot of people who wanted the same thing. And, and we're supporting you. Mm-hmm. So it's not, that's not necessarily a bad thing. Yeah. Yeah. Right? yeah. And, and support. Yeah. I'm like, of course there's good, there's, there's always competition. Sure. So it's like, uh, whether it was like a healthy competition or negative competition, it was, uh, it did push me. So I socially, I was, uh, I was always around in a competitive environment growing up. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. So you've competed now at the at the world level almost, right? And you've won this continental championship at very young age. I mean, twelve years old. You're just a young, yeah. You're a young girl. Yeah. I mean, we're not even moving into to. I'm, I won't even qualify that because I have some some daughters. Like, I won't even qualify that as a young woman yet. I mean, we're getting there, but at twelve years old, like you're yeah. a kid. You're a yeah, kid still. For sure. All right, so. Now you've, you've got this title and I'm sure that support group is like, we're going to do whatever we can to get this, this, our kid here to be a world champion. How does this escalate? Where does, where does it go from here? You know what? I, it floats a little bit for a few years. I I make the national team consistently every year. Mm -hmm. Um, I take home a few bronze medals, you know, still it's bronze, but I take home a few. You're, you're, You're top level. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And it's like, no one can touch me in the United States. I take bronze, you know, outside of the country. And uh, at the world stage, I'm, I I like, there was like a missing piece that I wasn't getting. But what was it? 17. When I turned 17, I'm like, man, like, I need to really like, there's got to be something I could do. So I, I pick up CrossFit. I'm okay. like, let me start like a real, like something. Because I, I didn't know anything about like fitness or yeah. strength and conditioning yeah. or anything. Strength, strength training in the karate game is not, it's not well yeah. adapted. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And okay. there hasn't been uh, much science or study mm-hmm. around it yet still, or to this day we're, we're still maybe 10, 
10 years, 15 years behind any other sport. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you're seeing it in the MMA world, but that's a totally different sport, right? right? But, and and, and they can tell you how important that, that type of training, strength and conditioning is. And, you know, in terms of being a world champion there, but certainly yeah, on the karate side, it's much different. Right. Exactly. So you, you dip into CrossFit. Yeah. I'm like, uh, what can I do? I'm like some, something to hold me accountable. Some, somewhere I could, and the easiest thing I know how to do is, uh, go to a class and, that's what I did. And at the time, Co- Coach Vince, um, he was the best, like literally the best sh- like strength and conditioning coach taught me everything that I know about lifting. Mm-hmm. Like before that, I didn't know anything. And if <laughs> if there was if he told me to run through a brick wall at that time, <laughs> I would have done it. This is the best kind of coaches. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. exactly. Especially for somebody like you. Yeah. And I'm sure he'll see this. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And um, it really just took me to another level. I said, yeah. this is my last year as a junior, or not really, but I will turn 18 years old. And instead of fighting for the junior national team, I'm transitioning into the senior national team where I'm fighting like pretty much my heroes, the, mm-hmm. the guys that I looked up to, 18 to 34 years old. If you're 18 and you're fighting at a 30-year-old, it's... That's a, that's a, that's a huge gap. Right. Huge. Huge. And so it's interesting what you're saying there is, is, is it's the choice. What is the thing, you know, what is the thing that I can be doing to move from bronze to gold Mm -hmm. or go from bronze to world champion? It's not, I need to spend more hours in the dojo and further develop my skills. Right. And and while skills acquisition or skills mastery is probably the point you're at after that many years of, of doing what you're doing what you're looking for is more baseline fundamentals and an advantage physically from a strength power, mm-hmm. right? Maybe quickness, agility type of perspective, which would also in my mind start if done properly and applied properly. If you've got a really great coach like Vince, yeah. it's probably helping you with your resiliency as well, your recovery and your ability to withstand the the practices and the, the things that you're going through. So you get into this, you get into this stuff and now you're because rec- you're recognizing, well, now I'm fighting, professional level fighters, yeah, right? These are people that are, this is what they do. This is their life and it's been their life. Right. And they have, they, they're 17 years my senior. Yeah. Okay. So you show up and? I show up. I make a, what did I do? I make the junior national team again. Mm-hmm. And then I also, wait, did I? It's like all blurry, yeah. <laughs> but I, I, I make it to the finals. My first, time as a senior okay and uh sure enough i go into the pan american championships one more time or at 18 and i win you won yeah i cool. won so between 12 and 18 there was that gap where i just took bronze mm-hmm. some some couple years i didn't take anything and i fill that gap i I make the difference by just applying a you know just a program right getting stronger getting stronger getting faster like, uh, and actually I was really crazy at that time because I would go to, um, work out nine to 10 in the morning, uh, go to the dojo workout. And then I would also run five miles at night. <laughs> yeah. That's crazy. I, I don't know how I did it. You asked me to do that right now. I'm like, <laughs> are you crazy? <laughs> So I do have a question. I will ask you this. Like, so the, the fight that you had to win gold, who was that person? Was that somebody that had been on your radar or somebody that like been hanging up like a picture of somebody that had been hanging up in the dojo your whole life or like, no. 
Yeah. No, and, and if if that's one thing about me, it's like, uh, well, at least at that time, I was just everything was just like this. I was uh, like, I don't care about anything. I don't care about anyone. I'm just gonna go out there and fight. I got you. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. There was no distractions, so it was like whoever they put in front of me is like I got a yeah. job to do. Yeah, but at a certain point, um, it it changes once you're a professional athlete, and once I understood the um understand a different side of the sport now i was paying attention of who was who in different countries especially when i started going to the premier league events the international events there's a full league like an nba like karate nba so so talk about that explain that because i'm not i'm not familiar yeah so um when i i i do as much as i i did so much my junior career like beautiful Mm -hmm. career and uh for a cup for i had trouble transitioning into the senior team and at 21 you mean uh, like with the from the social dynamic perspective or from your karate with the, with the karate skills okay with the gotcha. karate skills so now like skills it i kind of plateaued at that time so now i was trying to search for how can i pick up my game i've already gone to the pan am games at 19 years old and that's like uh, so it's not lack of experience it's yeah. there is a lack of experience but uh it there was a it between North and South America I was fine but now I was stepping into a realm of Europe Asia Africa different game different game like completely different game and I was like I knew this and I was trying to figure out what I needed to do or like how am I how am I going to be competitive in the world stage really because even between twelve and twenty I was still going to the world championships and I was not placing mm-hmm. but. Between North and South America, I was number one. Yeah. So it's like. Clearly there's a gap to fill there. Yeah. And what yeah. is it? What are these people doing that I'm not doing? Right. Right. So at 21, I moved to Indonesia. Gotcha. For a year and a half. And then after that, I moved to Kazakhstan a year and a half training full-time athlete. No I, shit. No, no S word. <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy. So in your 20 at this point? Now I'm 24. Okay. And uh, between that time of being like being, so that would not have happened if I didn't say, if I didn't, because in 2016, the 2020 Olympics were announced and karate was in the Olympics for the first time ever. At that point, yes. At that point. And I had already moved. And I said, oh my God. You'd moved from the United States. Yeah. So being on the U.S. Olympic team was not going to be an option for you. Or if you no. wanted it to be an option, you were going to need to get back there. No, I, not at all. It's uh, If I really wanted a chance to just even get to the Olympics, um, I just needed to take this seriously and find the funding to f- support me living abroad. Got you. Okay. So... Um, what I did was I drafted a letter and uh, I found all these big organizations and and even reached within my own network and put up a GoFundMe, like going towards the 2020 Olympics. I've done this, this and that. And I've I fundraised enough to support my life. Wow. And it doesn't take much because I'm living abroad. It's not like america it's not like you're living in san jose california exactly like i <laughs> everything I, costs I, 10 times as much as it does i spent else. 20 dollars today yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. like 
I don't know. It's like is the dollar menu is not even a dollar anymore. You know, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, the dollar store isn't even the dollar the dollar store anymore. Right, yeah. right. Yeah, gotcha. So, I I did it. I I found a way, and uh, next thing you know, I'm rep. I'm competing independently because I wasn't on the U.S. team yet. I I didn't make it one time, or whatever. And uh, now I'm going to. Dubai. I'm going to Paris. I'm going to Morocco to, to compete yeah. and try to qualify. So the the way that um, ranking it's a ranking system. So pretty much top ten athlete, top ten ranked athletes in each weight class will go to the Olympics. That's the easiest way to put it. Okay, it's it's much more com. It was much more complex than that, but that's the best way I can put it. So it's not like you each country rep- has a team. Right. And you just have to qualify like within your country to be on that team. And then you go, yeah. it's, it's much broader than that. It's definitely broader. So at that point, um, I didn't even need to be on, I like there's athletes that weren't even on their national team, but they were going out there kicking butt politically, like polit- for political reasons, they didn't make the national team. And you could see how that could happen. Um, sure. I mean, it's like, because there's a certain amount of judging that goes on, right? Yeah. It's like, it's like, uh, well, it's like a lot of sports for right, that it's matter. Like politics inside the country, like thousand percent. Lot, I mean, look at factors. whether it's ice skating or you know some other sport where there's judge, there's a judges panel. Weightlifting was a huge one. I mean that that the sport of weightlifting, particularly at the Olympic level, has t- taken a lot of heat mm-hmm. uh, in the last you know ten years because of the politics that are involved. People not making the team that was clearly. This person is the best suited representative, yeah. but for whatever reason, somebody or a group of people didn't like that person. For so whatever they didn't make reason. It for whatever right? reason. So, you, okay. So you're, you're competing like the rest of these people. You're kind of moving, you're going wherever you need to, to yes. earn your top 10 in the world. Exactly. Okay. And, um, I think that's where my story takes a special turn is that I believe, I, I think that when I first stepped into that circuit, I was ranked 130 within a year and a half. I was six in the world. Wow. Wow. So I did what I had to do. Right. And it's like, no one can get mad at me. Like who knows sports, who like really loves the underdog who like, (laughs) you know what I mean? I'm like, you, people could say whatever they want, but I did what I had to do for my career. Yeah. I got you. So whether and you'd been doing that your whole life. So my this whole is, life. this isn't any different. It, it wasn't any different. And, uh, that's, that's really what it is. And, you know, between that and COVID, uh, changing to the Philippine team and opening my dojo, I did what I had to do my whole life. So, so you no ultimately, be, and then there's some politics involved here. You ultimately go to the, to represent the Philippines mm-hmm. on the, on the Philippine team. Got you. And then COVID hits. Yeah. Right. And then, everything just turns messy. Everything's just crazy. And so that's got to leave like a vacuum. What next? Mm -hmm. And that's when the business starts. Yeah. So I'm, uh, how do I even start between me getting injured? This was the ankle. Yeah. Okay. The ankle that put uh, another reason that put me out between that and between changing to the Philippines and, uh, COVID I'm, I'm here in a brand new city because it was when that time that the that three and a half years that I was out of the country, my family moves back to the Bay Area. Okay. So from Stockton. From Stockton. 
Yeah. And I'm just like sitting here like, I don't know anyone. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, uh, what do I do? Like, it's the middle of COVID also. And, or it's just the beginning of COVID. And one of my best friends, Mike Lee. Yeah, you know, Mike. <laughs> Of course, Mike's going to fit into the story somewhere. (laughs) Right. So Mike Lee, uh, we were chatting and he was like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I'm just waiting. And he's like, what are you waiting for? Waiting for what? (laughs) Yeah. He's like, uh, I'm like, you know what? You're right. So from that conversation, I started outdoor classes. And uh, so you just put the word out and said, hey, I'm just this instructor. And I'm sure at this point. With all the success you've had, you're going to have some followers and people are going to know about you. Or maybe they don't. Catch me up here. Well, yeah, I, I did skip, <laughs> yeah. I skipped the whole year. So, so actually, it was like between the, it was between the time that I was out and the, that transition period between countries that I got the, filed my business license. I thought I would, I thought I'd never be able to fight again or whatever. So I was preparing to open my dojo or take that step. So I already signed the lease to my building, um, made like everything, all the legal, all the, all all that. Most people don't realize that like you don't just walk in and, you know, sign a lease and you have a business. Everything has to be created. Right. Making a logo. Yeah. Everything (laughs) has to be created. Yeah. So that time that was 2019, Mm -hmm. very, very pivotal point in my life. Like I like my eyes were so wide open and saw people who I loved and disappeared and all these people who came out of nowhere come into my life. So and I'm just like still going for the ride. Nothing was really registering me. I was just moving forward mm-hmm. with everything. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was that time in my life where, you know, I'm getting all the business things started that uh, I <laughs> Every Saturday, Sunday, I would show up to the local farmer's market and uh, pass out flyers. I love this. I love this grind. <laughs> like flyers. Who does that? I'll tell you who does that. Some of the most successful CEOs that have sat in that chair right there did that exact same thing. And people go, they want the easy button and you're out there handing out flyers at a farmer's market. Right. I love that. Yeah, I've done that. I've done cold calls to like... uh kids occupational therapy mm-hmm. you know saying or passing out flyers there like just driving out driving up and down san jose passing out flyers making calls being freaking uh what was it i gotta be careful of my language <laughs> <laughs> but uh getting in touch with the uh, what is it where i met mike oh the uh, chamber of commerce chamber of commerce yeah, yeah, I'm, I got you. I'm so sorry guys <laughs> I got you had a lot of things going on. (laughs) The chamber Uh who connected me to him. Right. Mm -hmm. So uh, I'm just putting myself out there in San Jose. I don't know anyone. Like literally I have one cousin that I, that I was seeing like every few days. But other than that, I was like a stranger to this whole, this town. Gotcha. And uh, so between that, I was on at the week on the weekends passing out flyers and I, just took this email list that I had created a year before and in, now it's we're in COVID time Yeah, in anticipation. Yep. Yep. And I said, I have all these emails or like emails. Let me just send a 
mass email right now. Boom, six. And that was probably between 50 to 100 emails that I had. Okay. And I, I, I had a hit for six, started classes, even within the six. One of them happens to be my sister. Okay. So five. <laughs> hey, you start with what you got. Look, that's how Red Dots got started. Yeah. I mean, it was the same same way. It was like you just start emailing and texting and calling everybody you know. You hit them on Facebook. That's what I had at the time. Actually, I didn't have a Facebook until I started the business. One of my business buddies like, dude, you got to have a Facebook. I'm like, I don't want a Facebook. Yeah. If you're going to have a business, you got to have a Facebook. So start a Facebook. But the bottom line was is you start reaching out to everybody you know, right? Mm-hmm. And the next thing you know, I had four or five clients. Yeah. And then? Yeah. Then there's four or five more. And then yeah. there's six more, right? And then that's when I took a serious dive into the social media world mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because before that it and call me stupid i know when i was at the height of my career six in the world everything i didn't have any social oh, then media. we're both stupid because i didn't have anything until like 2017 oh, well, stupid meets stupid yeah exactly <laughs> i guess we're both that way so. yeah so that's like uh i ha- i don't even have like me i don't even have any kind of following yeah i got you point, yeah. but I, I dive into it, and of course, I, I hear talk all around the country. Oh, what is Joan Orban doing? What what is she posting, and why is she posting like that? But they had no idea what was yeah. what I was on. Yeah, she's on a mission. Yeah. yeah. So, um, sure enough, I push my social media, and if anything, that's the reason I am where I'm at right now. So you, I mean, you've got, you're at a time now where kids are locked down, yep. right? This is the height of COVID, right? Or at least in the first, the first six or eight months of 2020, people have been sitting around long enough and you're talking about having, offering some classes out in the park, yeah, right? For just kids. Yeah. And so all of a sudden you wind up with a couple of kids and you're able to go out there in the park and do your thing. How quickly, so then you get on social media, you're starting to post a little bit there, some pictures of what's going on in the park. Yeah. And then this thing just starts to snowball. Pretty much. So, um, you know, it's funny. It's, uh, I started with Sakamoto elementary and that's like deep in South San Jose where my, my dojo's at already. Mm -hmm. It turns into six and 12 and you know, I'm sitting there. I'm just like, "Hmm, I want this bigger. Like I want more. Of course you do. Yeah, of course I do. (laughs) It's, It's me. Right. And uh, so I go on my social media and I'm like, okay, what can I think of? What can I do to to reach out to more people? So I go to, I, I look up um, Silicon Valley, for example, on Instagram. So there's like Silicon Valley moms, Bay Area moms, mm-hmm. all this and that. And I see anything that's really even related to Bay Area or mm-hmm. San Jose. I start sending out messages. Hey, I'm so-and-so I'm teaching classes for kids. I think you have a great, you know, uh, following for kids. If we could some create some kind of uh, partnership. Sure enough. I, I meet up with one, a popular mom in the Rose garden area. And next thing you know, I'm teaching karate at the park Rose uh, municipal Rose garden. Yeah. yeah, It's a great park over there. Great. Park. Just down the street from here. Yeah. Enough to where I had 40 kids out there and the sheriff comes. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> So let's let's time out for a second because we were trying to do some things here too. This was the this was the uh, this was the ridiculousness of the lockdowns and what they did. So here you are, you're trying to provide a service to the community. You're getting the kids out. You're getting them moving outside. Uh, parents are like, "Yes, we want this for our kids." You're yeah. outside, and then here comes the local law enforcement and city going, "You can't do this here." Yeah. Right. And and what are the reasons you can't do it here? What were they telling you? 
uh, did you apply for a permit? Right. I'm like, what? Like, I'm just in class. Right. I'm just, I'm just outside. Yeah, these are the things you learn after the yeah. fact, right? I'm like, of course, of course. Like uh, the city wants to make their buck. Uh, yeah. Fine, fine. Right. And they want to cover their ass. They want to make money and they don't want to help you with any of that. They just want to make it as hard as they can for you. Right. Yeah. yeah. yeah I've been through all this. I don't have a lot of nice things to say about the city <laughs> or the county, but uh, okay. So yeah. the sheriff comes, hems you up. Yeah. And they're like, okay, uh, Joan, like you, you can wrap up class for today, but you have to do go through the process. I said, okay, you'll never see me again. So next thing you know, I'm renting the field across the street, Trace Elementary. Yep. So there I go. I, I started renting the field. And I'm I'd rather rent the field from an elementary school than than, you know, pay my pay the city at this point. Yeah, man. They were doing all kinds of wrong. I'm just gonna take the opportunity and and tell tell a story. First off, the city of San Jose nearly shut Red Dot Fitness down before we even got started here. I spent six months, well, I spent a year trying to make this building happen that we're currently in. I spent almost a year. And because of all the rings and hoops that I was having to jump through with the city, because nobody wanted to be the yes man, nobody could give a straight answer, nobody ever would be accountable to what they had said before or what they were telling me now. It was such a mess that the money part for me fell apart in that amount of time. I mean, I can only keep things going for so long. Well, the building fortunately stayed empty and the next year I had to get it all back together again. So then I spent six months after going through planning, sitting in front of the building department with all the plans and here's what we want to do. And they said, yes, you do this. You have to get architectural drawings, blah, blah, blah. I came back. We came back and forth. It was six months later. And at this point, like we're trying to get out of our other building and get our business moved. So now I sit in this building or now I'm sitting in this office and they're going, well, uh, you know, at this point, it's going to take about six months to a year to even get a permit. That's how broken it was at that, at that time. I'm like, I don't have six months to a year. Like, well, then you can get in this emergency permit process to then get in, you know, get into the, basically the office faster. It's going to cost you a little bit more money, but it will expedite things a little bit. So I had to wait another month and a half just to get into that meeting. So I get into this meeting again, after going through this whole process for a year and a half, sit down with the plans that the guy at the building counter had said, we're okay. You need to bring yeah. these to submit. And in this emergency expedited process, what they do is they put you in a room with the guy from building, the people from fire, right? The people from HVAC, electrical, uh, planning, all the whole, basically everybody's in there. So you can kind of get one answer and you don't get bounced around from desk to desk, which is like, I'll pay for what I'll pay whatever, to make that process happen. Cause I can't keep coming back here and dealing with the back and forth. So we're in there and then immediately the guy from building says, well, this has to go and this has to be changed. And this isn't up to code and all these other things. I'm like, what the hell was I sitting out there for six months for? Like the guy could have told me that and yeah. I would have happily changed it. Right. It gets better. We're in there about 15 minutes. And then that one of the head supervisors from planning comes in and he goes, time out. He goes, you guys got to stop all this. He goes, your business isn't even, uh, or that, 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 building isn't even zoned for you to have that kind of a business in there. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. I already went through planning and we already went through all of this. Right. And essentially he's like, well, what I can tell you is there's a bunch of legal issues going on with that building and uh, it, you're not going to be able to have that business there. Now, by the way, I had to be out of the place that I was in yeah. in like two months time. I already had 50 grand worth of equipment on the way. It wasn't like I could call them up and tell them to, yeah. to take it back. And I will not bore you with the rest of this, but what I will tell you is it cost me another 125% to do the stuff. I have a 6,000 square foot building here, or yeah. 
a thousand square feet in the back that I was just trying to put a couple offices and two showers in. Yeah. My permit fees were $35,000. They charged me $7,000 for a sewer hookup fee. I'm already hooked up to the sewer. Yeah. Like they, it was, it was the worst situation we could have ever been in. And it took them a year and a half to get final sign off because every inspector that came through here didn't know what they were supposed to be doing or looking at. It was a total mess. So I feel for it. And if it sounds like I'm still upset about it, you're damn right. I am. It's (laughs) it's ridiculous. I feel you on that. And I'm, I thank God I started the time that I did because I probably failed some kind of inspection every month. Yeah. It's it's like, they don't want you to be in business here. And by the way, I I sat there and I went, do you guys forget 10 years ago, you were begging businesses to move into the city. Right, so it's no, it's it's no wonder there aren't more small businesses here because they they basically make it so prohibitive and so expensive to do it anyway. Yeah. So so I feel you. So I mean, you're not only you're trying to create things and you're getting stopped up and, and and whatever, but I imagine where we're going to now is now you're looking. You sign a lease on a building, right? And you're you, you know you need to move inside eventually and make this thing happen and make it yeah more legitimized because you can't do it in the park all the time. Right. 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 And um. You know, honestly, I everything worked out the way that it did. Like COVID bought me time to build my building out. And um, but we we saw the snow, no snow. We saw the rain. We saw the cold. We saw everything. And, you know, it it went to a real karate kid move. (laughs) (laughs) I get it. Yeah. And the the people, they kept coming. Yeah, they kept coming because uh, their kids are locked in the house all day. So. I provided something, a, a positive resource for these right, kids. Right. And uh, other than Sheriff trying to shut me down, I'm like, I'm, I, I'll make it work. I'll find a way. So I did. And next thing you know, where it was 2020 now, early 2020, I get the call from the Philippines. Like, hey, we're picking up things to get you ready to tr- try to qualify for a Tokyo. Like, let's get things going. And I'm like, holy cow. I pretty much have a business running. Right. And you're telling me to leave for three months. Right. <laughs> so I, I did it, but. You made it work. I made it work. I, I contacted friends who I adjusted classes. My families, my parents, whoever quit, quit. And if anything, I, ga- I gained students yep. during that time just mm-hmm. by promoting their sensei as, you know, possible Olympian or Olympian. Right. Kind of. And, um. It was crazy. I was managing a business while being a full-time athlete out of the country. And (laughs) I did it. It's like how I just did. I'm literally 12 hours. It's maybe a 12 hour difference, something along those lines, just responding to inquiries, like checking on the status of classes, get like, in the like middle of the night, making sure I have to wake up and go to practice and weigh in and do all these things. So by that time I, and I can't say that I wasn't prepared. I was definitely prepared. I did the best that I could at the last Olympic trial in Paris, mm-hmm. but I just came up short mm-hmm. and the, the, that's just what it is. And if, but what I had built, I had something to come back home. Right. To. Right. I'm not. I'm not surprised you found a way to get it done. I mean, you've been finding a way to get it done your 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 entire life. I mean, there were some there's some common threads there. I think when I when I speak to people about their successes, and and a couple of them are first off, they always 
always had to suffer a little bit with challenges, financial challenges, uh, and, you know, and not just, I, you know, there's things I want that I can't have right now. There's things that I need that I might not be able to get right now, kind of mm-hmm. financial, financial challenges. They always had somebody or some people, parents, you know, a brother, a sister, a mentor, somebody in their corner to prop them up or hold them, hold them up a little bit when maybe they didn't have the bandwidth to, to support what it was they needed to be doing or, or whatnot. But it's the relentless drive to succeed and stop at nothing to get what you need and you want and not get too high, not get too low and not complain about the hard work. I mean, it's yeah. just, it's hard work. That's what we got to yeah. do. So we're, we're working hard. So you've worked so hard. Now you have, you know, you have this burgeoning business, right? You know, you have your own dojo that happened for you, right? You, you got it together and it's just, it's busting at the seams. I, I literally, I drive by there and there's people lined up outside waiting for the next <laughs> class. There's a great little, there's a great little fuss spot. One of the best fuss spots in San Jose is like two doors down from yeah. there. And I'm over there a couple of days a week and I drive by there. I go, dude, Jones killing it. It's like seven o'clock at night. Yeah, right? And people yeah. are just packed and waiting out, outside. If you follow you on, on social media, you're going to see that there's so the kids are competing every weekend. It seems like, which is a whole other part of this that I want to talk to you about in terms of the business in and of itself. But it, it, you know, it's, it, it goes from having nothing right to all of a sudden, you know, to what I just described in less than two years, mm-hmm. in less than two years and built on the back of hard work and Definitely. you know relentless drive to be successful. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about the business a little bit, because here's my thing. I was just sharing this with, with a friend of new friend of mine the other day, who's been in martial arts his entire life uh, and owns a gym up in Half Moon Bay my uh my new buddy Raul Castillo and he's he, you know we could just kind of walk through his his career path and kind of he started as a very young kid as well but i see a couple different models within the world of martial arts right and i and i've i was very turned off by one of them and then which made me very aware when i've seen sort of the other one and one model is i got to be honest it seems like it's just a racket you know, like the kids come in, you know, they take parents' money, they're on the monthly subscription, they take them through these these classes, they teach them these moves, they do these forms or katas, and then they promote them to the next belt, and there's a little ceremony, and they get a participation award, and then they, you know, they get moved on, and well, yeah, kid needs a new gi, and kid needs a new belt, and, you know, if you want to have the, the practice t-shirt or the practice gi that, you know, the other kids have, then you got to buy this. There's just this, there's a, there's a business to it, but yeah. to me it's lost like some purity within the martial arts itself. Like what are you really teaching these kids? Mm -hmm. And then there's another model, right? Where the kids are learning some very functional and practical skills and they're being tested within those skills through fighting. Let's call it what it is through. It's not just sparring with the same five kids in the class for the entire time. They're going to that school as they graduate from belt to belt to belt or whatever it is that they're promoting them on. These kids are showing up to tournaments and they're, they're legit fighting in, in, in tournaments and it's safe and it's controlled, yeah. but things happen. I mean, you just mentioned you got a concussion or whatever, but that's, that's what karate is. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess my point of this, the bigger point of this is that I want to bring up is what I see is, is young women and, and girls that are going at this 110%. I mean, this shit's impressive. Yeah. It's impressive. So I wonder if you could maybe talk about the models and your experience in martial arts, because it sounds like you had the second model your whole life, but what you see kind of happening within the, in the business of martial arts and 
and how to maybe compare and contrast, particularly if I'm a parent, maybe looking to get my kid into this. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I've, I've had so many great mentors and, um, the functional part, there's always that traditional aspect that, that, you know, traditional karate has. And however, it's not necessarily, uh, smart business wise. I try to balance it in between one. I have to be providing the best service. You're paying for the best service. And I'm going to teach you karate. I'm going to teach your kids life skills. I'm going to teach your your kids, you know, all all these values that are missing in society today. Um, Also, the business part of it, you're going to pay for it, for it, of course. And like nothing's free anymore. Like water's not even free. (laughs) You know what I mean? And, um, but essentially, I'm going to give you the best instruction that you'll find in San Jose, mm-hmm. guaranteed. Like, and so it's it's up to the parent. You know, it's you, you will. It's like you have to see it. Like, it's such magic inside my dojo. Oh, yeah, it's magic inside the dojo. Uh, so, from a parent standpoint, it's like, what do you value for your kids? Mm-hmm. Do you just want to pay? pay their way to a black belt or do you want them to earn it? And I'm going to tell you if, if you're not used to working hard for things, you're not going to be a good fit inside my dojo. I love that. Yeah. You know when to say you're not a right fit. There's a, yeah. I mean, and I understand I'm, I know I'm not going to fit every parent's standards of an instructor. Maybe someone wants Johnny to clap for him every, every step of the way. But if Johnny messes up on a step and is talking back to you at home, I'm going to take his belt and he's going to do 50 pushups every day in class until his mom tells him, tells me that he's a respectful kid again. Actions and consequences. Yeah. So it's, it's nice because I built a system to where I uh, support parents. So I, it's not fear. It's respect. You you're like, you have to, we have to teach these kids how to respect their parents because that's, they brought them here. Like, uh, like they're providing for them. Yeah, providing. The, experience, yeah. the parents are providing uh, you to have this opportunity because it's not me. Me. I'm not saying I'm going to build champions. Like I'm, I'm not going to expect you to be a champion like I was, but I'm going to mold you to treat everything that you do with a champion mindset. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, if, if you want to, if you want to follow or join us, that's that's the expectations. But one, uh, commitment isn't taught nowadays. Loyalty to or commitment to a goal isn't taught nowadays. Now it's everything's a drive through. Like you want to drive through this, and sorry, this is this isn't going to work for you. What's happened? Like how do we get here? No idea. No idea. But, uh, I mean, how frequently do you run into that in, you know, in your, in your business? I mean, I know it's sort of fairly fresh and new, but I, 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 you strike me as somebody that's going to set the expectation right up front. There's yeah. not going to be any questions, but I, I just wonder, you know, how often are you running into these, these conversations where you're having to go, Hey, this was the expectation coming in and maybe this isn't the right fit for you. Right. Um, a few times, like one thing or belt tests. There's a reason why there's belt tests every so month, every few months versus every month. I'm giving your kid a new belt. Right. Like, no, it's not <laughs> working over here. And you cannot pay, pay me enough 
for me for you to skip you know skip these belts and skip these essentially time it's there's time in between these belts that are very crucial to your child's development mm-hmm. and you're just trying to pay your way through mm. no yeah i think that's the uh we're said this before too like we're sort of witnessing the effects of that helicopter parenting and and trying to take kids trying to do it for the kids and yeah. and we're paying the price for that right now as a society uh the the lack of commitment the lack of understanding what hard work is a lot of entitlement mm-hmm. uh, and parents have to take a, a a level of responsibility and why that why that's why it's like that so you you did a pretty good job of articulating i think like hey listen if if what you want is like the turnstile swim school yeah. type karate there's plenty of those places yeah. out there yeah. that there are but when you come here we do it this way and you're either on board with that or you're not talk to me about the tournament piece cuz again i see so much of this and i i have to be honest like i don't see a lot of a lot of dojos doing that i see them kind of staying in house or you know you you have like it's almost like a franchise you have you know you have these these dojo owners that own like five of them. Right. And they all just run the same kind of, kind of school. It's the same system. It's the same thing. There's nothing wrong with that. It's a business, right? I mean, but that's not how you guys operate. Like you, you're, you're constantly out there testing. Like I said, talk, talk to me about that, that how you integrate that into the business. Yeah. So of course you could follow curriculum and you just want, you just want to focus on going from a white, white belt to a black belt. Mm -hmm. Perfectly fine. But of course, I also have the expertise of taking you from, uh, you know, just regular Joe Schmo to possibly a national champion mm-hmm. or further than that, of course. So you have the option once you get to a certain belt to be to be a part of our competition team. And I didn't open that competition team until this year, January 8th. So it's now that I finally opened that part of the program that we have the additional practices, just focus on the sport part of it. Okay. And uh, I've already set our season aside. Like this is where we're going to be on this date, this date, this date. Mm -hmm. And in between, it's just about training. It's all about the grind. It's all about Mm -hmm. all of that. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, this past tournament in Yuba City, like just within three weeks of uh, focused training, we took 15 kids and came home with 20 medals. That's, and that's more, outstanding. More than half of them was uh, gold medals and silver medals. So imagine 15 of those medals were kids in the finals. So in five bronze. And that's not ba- that's not bad at all. That means you just you might have lost to the either your friend who right. happened to go who, who got silver or gold. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or your friend or you lost to the best competitor in that division. So you're already put making a name for yourself. I yeah. mean, it's. Uh, I don't expect anything less, but I'm not holding anyone to try. To, I'm not comparing any kid to me. Right. Absolutely not. I'm not comparing anyone to me. I'm just creating a standard. I love yeah. that. So if you're a parent out there, and again, you've kind of already articulated, look, if you want to buy your your, your kid's black belt, there are plenty yeah. of places to do that. But, you know, maybe they're not in San Jose. Maybe they're not in, you know, they're not local and they can't, they can't come to uh, yeah. to your spot. What, what are suggestions you can give parents, you know, in terms of how to vet their dojo, vet their instructors, their senseis? What are the questions they can ask or what should they be doing or what should, what are some red flags maybe even that, that, that should tip them off right away? Probably not a good fit. 
Um, oh, one thing is like how open-minded is your sensei? Is your sensei willing to reach out and find the right resources for your kid? Uh, and this, we're talking about a kid in like the competitive field, right? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, no, Johnny can only turn on me and only me and I only know the right way. Well, Johnny hasn't been winning. Mm. So like, what are you going to do, coach? <laughs> how are we going to get Johnny to win? Is there someone in your area? Is there someone that you could reach out to that we could possibly work with as a team together? Mm-hmm. And because you're always going to be our, our sensei. This, this, I'm like, this is like script for, this is a script right now. Because this <laughs> right. is how often it happens. Okay. Right? Okay. But um, is your sensei willing to find the right resources to make uh, your child better? Got you. And that's it. It's like network is net worth. Wow. That's powerful. Where does where do you go from here? I mean, is it just total world domination with both <laughs> your both your dojo and and your athletes, or what? What's the long term plan here? Long term plan. I want to turn San Jose into a karate hub. I love that. Like there is no reason why uh, there isn't like a constant national champions coming out of this area. Like what? What's what's the holdup? Um. I, I mean, is it resources? I, 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 I think it? it's just like in any business, uh, there's just this large gap between older, the older generation and the new coming coaches and instructors and senseis. It's, uh, are you going to let us in or are you, are you guys going to hold that? Uh, got you. Hold that, you know? Yeah. They don't want the new blood or the new fresh blood, the yeah. new ideas. I've, I've definitely witnessed that from a business perspective here in the Silicon Valley. There's a lot of old money, if you will, yeah. right? Old ideas. And I don't want to rub anyone the wrong way either, but uh, I don't. I don't hear you doing <laughs> that. You're an entrepreneur, right? It's yeah, like just- yeah. But um, it's like uh, it's time. Not not like get out of the way, but like I embrace this. Like, yeah, embrace. I give you my respect. I give. I bow to you too. Like this, but what I have to offer right now is very com- is very to the times, mm. and it's either you accept me or not because I know what. I know I'm going to be good no matter what, mm-hmm. but maybe others on your, your side may not, but I don't know. That's not for me. It's like, I know for my people, I'm going to take care of them. I got you. So you were mentioning to me earlier when we walked in, you just had like a, you had a very interesting and productive meeting before coming in today. Yeah. Wondered if you could talk a little bit about that too, in terms of how that and, and what, what you think or how you think that's going to impact what you just said. So yes, uh, right now I I've become the head coach of the USX team. So that's the that's a US expeditionary team. It's what what it is essentially is not the national team per se under the national governing body, but a system of camps that develops youth athletes, a feeding system into USA Karate. Okay, so USA Karate being the governing system. Yes, USA Karate. And the expeditionary group being like um, like a developmental yes, team. Yes, Got you. So we are a developmental team of coaches that run a year-round session of camps uh, in various parts of the country mm-hmm. and sending, you know, select athletes around the, or around the country to help develop them. Gotcha. And what we hope to do with these athletes is prepare them to make the national team because we want the best, you know, the best representation that we could have on the national team. 
and ultimately get them to take home medals internationally. At an international level. So there's a there's a gap right now is what I understand in that we've, we can be competitive within our own country or within our own region. Uh, but once we step into international waters, we're fairly non-competitive. Uh, pretty much. Like, uh, I, I want to be p- as politically correct as possible. It could be better. It c- We could do a lot better and it could be a lot more consistent. And, uh, I hope by this system that we're able to, we're not going against, uh, anyone at all. We just want to, you know, give a hand on this, you know, because, uh, there's a lot of attention to the U S senior national team and I don't get, I don't discredit anyone like. There, there should be, but the uh, in the 2026 Youth Olympics in Senegal, there is still karate in the Olympics, and uh, right now, if we want athletes to represent us, the the target age group is between 10 and 14, and uh, that is exactly our target age group. Yeah, that's a lot of opportunity. Exactly. So if we can create something to help these kids, we already this is this is the project. This is what it is. So take these kids, give you the best product that we can, the best athletes that we can, hand them over to USA Karate. You take it from there. Gotcha. Take it forward. Gotcha. Just do for them what they're not necessarily doing right now and, uh, and basically hand them like a stable of kids. It's like, it's almost like a, a farm system of sorts to get people into the to the pro level. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you like – so when, when, you, when you talk about this expeditionary – team right organization are they located nationally or will it be regionally or how's all that how's it all organized so um it's so it's a team of coaches right so the key look it's every there's going to be a tournament every quarter okay and every quarter the the whoever wins in their division gets funded into an international event that's that's one thing but the developmental camps as is is Colorado, mm-hmm. California, Miami, New York. Okay, so all points of the compass. All points of the compass, and that's exactly why we chose it that way. So that you take, I take 20 kids for a weekend, I push them over to Miami. Miami takes those 20 kids, pushes them over to New York. New York takes those kids, pushes them over to Colorado. At the end of the year, you've you've had four teams of elite coaches like have a hand on Expo- your yeah, expose them instead of yeah. one way. My way is the highway, as you were sort of describing before, yeah. as being the red flag. Yeah, which could be a limiter if you've had the you know at the USA national level, they've had the same coaches, the same group of coaches forever. They've got limited resources, right? Because it's just those coaches, and yeah. they're they're running yeah. their system in, in their way. And again, not that they're doing anything wrong, but yeah. You know, what yeah, about all this other talent and all these other resources? And by the way, the funding piece is a huge part of this, right? It's yeah. it's making this these resources available to these kids that may not have access to this otherwise. Exactly that. It, it's exactly that. It's we're not saying no you know, someone's doing something wrong and but we understand resources are limited. They're limited, yeah. Especially in the karate world. This isn't like a million dollar you know, thing where it's like, okay, the government's giving you $5 million to develop these 80 kids. We don't have that. There's no funding. Yeah. Right. So why not we do something on our own to help? 
this is just help. I like if we just want to help. Gotcha. <laughs> That's it. I gotcha. <laughs> so it's a brand new, it's a, it's a sort of a brand new thing that you're getting, you guys are getting going and it's, I think it's awesome. I, you know, as a, as a, as a dad, I experienced within like women's soccer very specifically, and this is an ongoing thing. It's gotten very political, you know, specific to like, what's the U S U S women's team versus what's the U S men's team, the resources, how they're treated. And it's been, it's been a point of contention for a very, very long time. I mean, there's no doubt about it. Like there's a huge discrepancy and it really all comes down to money and power at the end of the day. So, uh, but particularly in women's sports. And again, I just want to come back to the young girls that I see coming out of there and who you're developing to just be strong, independent women. And I'm also going to say this too, like for, for people out there that might be listening to this or any, anything else for that matter, with regard to martial arts, like in the reasons you would send your kids there, you articulated that like that. Why would I want to get my kid in here? Not so they can learn how to beat somebody up, right? It was like to learn about commitment, to learn about respect, to learn about dedication, to learn about hard work, right? Actions and consequences, all of those things. And I'll take it one step further. And this is not so your kid doesn't get bullied. It's also so your kid doesn't become the bully, yeah. right? Like the, the, all of those things that you just mentioned come way before getting or being bullied, Right. Like you, you, when you understand that, when you understand those concepts, you don't turn into that kid. You don't, you're not the one that gets bullied and you're not the one that, that ends up doing the bullying. But going back to the, 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 the female, the young women's side, young woman's side of this thing, I think that's a, there's a, there is opportunity within this sport where there may not be in a lot of other sports. Mm-hmm. Um, and you guys are kind of, tra- you know, trailblazing here and, yeah. and paving your own way. And, uh, Jesus. I mean, what better person to have on the front as the, as the head coach of this thing than somebody like you, who's, who's done the work that you've, you've done and earned the things that you've earned along the way. Yeah. Well, it's, it's definitely girl power right now. I love it. Um, and nothing to boys, but, uh, this was originally a man sport. Yep. And even now when, when you look at tournaments, when you show up to these tournaments, you'll just see like a, a room full of boys. It's male dominated. Yeah. Male dominated. I mean, what do you expect for a combat sport? Sure. But there are a wave of girls coming up. Right. Like That's great. It's very cool to see. Yeah. I mean, I think it's so cool seeing it all over your social media, like I said. So, wow, so many great things. I mean, I I appreciate you sharing your story. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot there. And um, I know this is the first one of these podcast things you've ever done. And there's so much, so much there. And I know there's a lot that we probably didn't talk about. And, um, I guess the next part would be is like, how do people find out more about Joan? Where do they go if they want to find out about your business, about your career, about how to get involved, how to support, you know, all those kind of things. What where, where do they go? What do they do? So one thing is if you're looking to sign, if you, if you have a young child or maybe you even want to start karate, uh, visit my website, ubakc.com. Uh, you could, you'd see our class schedule, you know, if you're interested, if not, uh, one thing that I, I'm very active on is my Instagram mm-hmm. at Joan Orban. Uh, you'll see I try to be as active as I can posting every day, talking about what I'm doing every day. And you'll see my kids. You'll see, you know, what like my current projects, what I'm doing. And one thing for sure is that I'm such I have a soft heart when and when it comes to kids like I, I treat every student like my own and call me crazy, but I mean, it's, uh, it's become a home for a lot of kids and, uh, 
as you can think that, you know, there's a kid that may have all the talent in the world, but might not have the financial support Mm -hmm. to make it to one, even afford the equipment or the uniforms that are required to compete Mm -hmm. at a higher level. And if, if you do just want to take the time to support like an athlete, for Mm -hmm. example, or just Anything along those lines, I have, I've already have a, a few families that need the help. And if they could, you know, maybe find a way to reach out to me, we could get something going that the community could, you know, put their foot forward and support kids. Gotcha. I love that. Well, like I said, I mean, if there's anything we can do here at, uh, at Red Dot or on Iron Sites to support you and your, and your team, be happy to do so. But, uh, uh, thanks again for coming down. It's been great hanging yeah. out and chatting with you. And finally, I'm glad we finally made this happen. Yeah. Thank you so much. Just such a smooth talk. <laughs> I, th- I think you did great. Um, I, like I said, uh, it's, I'm, it's weird that we're just getting in front of one another now, quite frankly. I mean, I want to know all the talent in, in the local area and support them the best I can. So um, I cannot wait to see where this goes for you. Thank you. I I can't. So I'm going to keep my eye out. Thanks again. Thank you so much. See ya. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Iron Sights. If you enjoyed our conversation, you can support our mission by hitting the subscribe button, leaving a review, and sharing the podcast with a friend. I'll see you on the next episode.